It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Common Ground Radio with your host CJ Walk from Mofka is up next. Good morning and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture here in the state of Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is CJ Walk, and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. here on WERU. Well, today we are talking about biodynamic farming and gardening practices. Biodynamics is a spiritual, ethical, ecological approach to agriculture, gardens, food production, and nutrition. Biodynamics was first developed in the early 1920s based on the spiritual insights and practical suggestions of the Austrian writer, educator, and social activist, Dr. Rudolf Rudolf Steiner. Uh, Biodynamic farmers strive to create a diversified balance Excuse me, biodynamic farmers strive to create a diversified, balanced farm ecosystem that generates health and fertility as much as possible from within the farm itself. Preparations made from fermented manure, minerals, and herbs are used to help restore and harmonize the vital life forces of the farm and to enhance the nutrition, quality, and flavor of the food being raised. And biodynamic practitioners also recognize and strive to work in cooperation with the subtle influences of the wider cosmos on soil, plant, and animal health. <clears throat> so, and I must credit the Biodynamic Association uh, for the or parts of the above text. So I have a couple of guests here in the studio today, but before we get to the introductions and discussion, I would like to make listeners aware of a few food and farming-related events they may find of interest here in our community. So tomorrow, on March 7th, Mofka's Spring Growth Conference, uh, Farming in the Face of Climate Change, runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Mofka's Common Ground Education Center in Unity. Keynote speaker John Aber and a panel of farmers will focus on weather and climate-related, ish- weather and climate-related challenges farmers are experiencing and will include open discussion on strategies for farmers to deal with changing climate. Uh, more information can be found at www w.mofka.org or by calling 568-4142. On March 13th is the main grain conference, which runs from 8.30 to 4.30 at the Spectacular Event Center in Bangor. And more info can be found through the University of Maine Cooperative Extension Service or your local county extension office. And then for folks, farmers in the Hancock County region on March 18th, There is a Hancock County grower meeting at the Hancock County Extension Office in Ellsworth where there will be sessions on organic certification, soil health, and crop planning by local farmers. Um, There are many, many other events related to food and farming that are going on this month, especially as our thoughts thoughts turn from the snow to the soil, and many of those can be found uh, on the calendar at mofka.org. So... Getting to the show for today, we are talking about biodynamic farming and gardening, and I have two guests here with me in in the studio, and I would like to briefly introduce them and then give them a chance to kind of say more about the work that they do. So here in the studio with me today is Deb Soule. 
from Avena Botanicals in Rockport, Maine. Thank you for being here, Deb. I'm delighted. Okay. And also is Tom Griffin from Hope's Edge Farm in Hope, Maine. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for inviting us. Sure. Sure. Um, and I want to remind our listeners that this is a call-in show, and we'll open up the phone lines in uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and I'll give out the number to call at that time. So first, I'd like to get back to our guests and hear more about what they do and, um, and how they practice biodynamic farming uh, at their places of operation. So I think maybe, Deb, could we start with you, and you could give a little bit of background about what you do? Sure. Sure. It's lovely to talk about gardening in such a wonderful snowy winter <laughs> to re-inspire us. So I've been um, gardening medicinal plants for about 40 years. I grew up in the western part of Maine in a little town and um, was fortunate to, as a teenager to have an old wonderful gardener take me under his wing and start to inspire me about growing, first growing vegetables. And then I was really inspired by Juliet de Berkeley Levy's book, Common Herbs for Natural Health to begin to really turn my focus to growing medicinal plants. And it's interesting when I think back 40 years ago, I remember very clearly one day um, Frank was the wonderful old elder who let me have a vegetable garden. Um, at that point, I'd never heard the term organic. I'd never, of course, heard the term biodynamic, mm-hmm. in, being in a little town in Maine. And he, I remember, sprayed some kind of powder on his eggplants and and tomatoes, and I, I had never even heard about chemical, for, you know, chemical anything. Mm-hmm. But what I remember very clearly is that my mouth and my nose burned. And I just, you know, as a young woman, you know, as a teenager, I didn't know what I had just encountered, but I knew something wasn't right. And then about a year later, actually, somebody sent me an organic gardening magazine. And at that time, 40 years ago, they were tiny. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's really changed over the years. <laughs> and that was my first... Um, introduction to even the fact that there's something called organic gardening. Okay. And and it was actually, from that point on, I became very interested in um, both food as a way to stay well and also really making my life's work be with medicinal plants, which then translated into starting Avena Botanicals um, uh-huh. 30 years ago. And I've been certified by Mafka as an organic farm for almost 30 years. Yeah. And... I started working with the biodynamic principles in the mid in the mid eighties. Um, I happened to be teaching um, for an elder hostel program in Waterville, where there was also a three week summer renewal course going on that was coming forth from um, Rudolf Steiner's work, and that was what, how I was introduced to Rudolf Steiner um, at that point. And what I remember is going into this amazing bookstore, and I thought, what world did I just come into? <laughs> my eyes wide like a child, and I bought my first biodynamic calendar, which was put out by the Stella Natura. It's called the Stella Natura calendar, and that is how I started working with the principles of biodynamics. Mm-hmm. For me as a herbalist, already um, at that point, um, I was growing and gathering, and I was preparing a number of different herbal rem- remedies, different tinctures and teas and oils and salves. So the, the leap to understanding um, a number of the herbal preparations that are used in the compost pile and what it is to stir and spray, that was very familiar to me as an herbalist. Mm-hmm. I also have some relationship to homeopathy, so potentizing things. Yep. It, all made very, it all made sense to me as an herbalist. So I started 
you know, really working with the rhythms, the mm-hmm. lunar rhythms, the seasonal rhythms. Of course, herbalists work with seasonal rhythms. So the calendar was my first my way in. And then I um, began to just um, read different types of books. And it was about, I think, 12 years and until and I actually met a biodynamic farmer, which happened to be Tom. <laughs> Tom was the first real biodynamic farmer that I met. And actually we met at the Farmer to Farmer conference um, in 97. It was at that point still um, on Mount Desert Island. And I was giving a talk about how to help farmers integrate some medicinal medicinal herbs into their production. Uh-huh. And Tom came to hear me talk, and I had just mentioned biodynamics. So I'm forever grateful to him because he's the one who first showed me how to prep a compost pile and do some of the different stirring techniques. That I have found it really helpful to... I'm much more of a person who learns by being shown and actually uh-huh. talking to a real person. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's a good introduction and good kind of segue into Tom. <laughs> You could tell us a little bit more about your background. I so guess. my background, um, um, originally um, I, I studied in the academic world, I studied soil science. So I have a soil science degree, mm-hmm. a bachelor's degree in soils, and I have a, a master's degree in agronomy, mm-hmm. but uh, very academically related. And after I graduated, I went and I worked as a soil scientist for an environmental consulting firm. And... Um, when I finally graduated from school and I and I started working um, in, as this in this environmental consulting firm, I realized that um, it it didn't really speak to me. I, I I felt like it was very reductionistic in mm-hmm. its approach, and I felt like um, the work that I was doing for the consulting firm was more helping people get through regulations rather than sort of working on the environment yeah. um, for the environment. Yeah. So. As a result, I started looking around, well, where, where can I really get s- some odd hands farm work, farm training, um, to put some of what I know to work? And there you happened to be up the road from where I was living, half hour um, away, was a place called Kimberton Hills, which is an intentional community in Kimberton, Pennsylvania. And um, they offered uh, a training course in biodynamic agriculture. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what that but biodynamics was, but it was a training course in agriculture, so I went. Yep. I ended up staying there six years, and um, I, like, like I said, I, I had this conventional training, a, a very sort of science-based orientation to agriculture, and all of a sudden I was thrown into this community where I was stuffing horns with manure, and I was uh, stuffing um, intestines with chamomile flowers, and it's like <laughs> something about that even though it sounds odd, was more real uh-huh. than the science training that yep. I got. And so this was 20-some-odd years ago, and I've... Um, so, so my whole farming career, essentially, mm-hmm. is has been with biodynamics. Okay. So um, Nice. Now I have a, a small farm in Hope. Um, I, it's a CSA um, farm, and I uh, have about mm, around 100... CSA members, mm-hmm. and uh, um, we practice biodynamics. Um, I don't know that my CSA, we, we tell my CSA members that's what we do. I'm not sure that they sort of really get it. Or Yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe some are listening today. Yeah. They <laughs> learn a little bit more about what's going on. Exactly. So. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you for the intros. Um, 
I'm wondering about <clears throat> if people are listening and they're curious about finding more information or how would someone uh, begin thinking about growing biodynamically. Do you feel, as Deb, I would ask you, do you feel that the Stella Natura calendar is a, a good entryway or where would they catch on to the basics? We all have some books on the table. We do have books on the table, which we can talk about. Um, the calendar certainly is one segue in, particularly people who are already oriented and curious and working with the lunar rhythms mm -hmm. and the seasonal rhythms. So it, it you know it plays that particular role in, in helping us to recognize that there are much larger cosmic forces that influence us. I'm thinking about this uh, talk tomorrow. It's going to be at MOFCA on climate change and... I think that the biodynamic component would be a, a part of that conversation because we are really working with understanding the influences that obviously that the moon and um, the different planetary movements play on on what's happening on the earth. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say it's one aspect, but not the only aspect. The, the book, the main book that I started with is the one you have, The Culture and Horticulture okay. by Wolf Storrell. Tom also brought a book that I'll let him speak to that we both have been reading that just came out that um, we feel like is a really, really important book. It's called Muck and Mud, and Tom can speak about it. Um, I brought my book that I wrote two years ago, How to Move Like a Gardener, in mm -hmm. um, the subtitle Planting and Preparing Medicines from Plants. And I wrote a, the whole second chapter is an introduction to biodynamics. And I really... Um, Somehow I feel like I've been a translator in my life of, you know, kind of helping to translate the medicinal herb world to gardeners in general, farmers in general, and just people in general. Mm -hmm. So the way that I kind of focused this particular introduction to biodynamics in my own book was with that in mind, really trying to bring forth kind of some of the more really practical aspects of how we stir and how we spray and why and... Um, and just beginning to help people understand some of the kind of spiritual and philosophical overtones that are very much at the real foundation and root of biodynamics. Okay. Okay. Um, can we talk a little bit then more about kind of the foundation and the roots yeah. of it? Um, because I'd like to know, I'd like listeners to be able to know a little bit more about, we can get into some of the practices, but also kind of what's, What's the philosophy or that foundation behind it? So, Tom, you wanted to, yeah. Piece um, that. I suppose the, if you wanted to get a, a hit of biodynamics from the horse's mouth, so to speak, you would go back to um, the original lectures that Steiner gave. Uh -huh. Steiner gave these lectures to a group of farmers back in 1924, who were already they they were already experiencing. Um, a decline in, say, the fertility of their animals or in their seed um, rejuvenation, and, mm -hmm. and so they were, all, and they were also also familiar with Steiner's um, cosmology and his and his approach to the natural world. So they asked him, almost begged him, almost forced him <laughs> to come and give them um, some insights. Yeah, and so this resulted in eight eight lectures over an eight-day period he gave these eight lectures and mm -hmm. that's now t entitled agriculture you can get that through the biodynamic association it's it's a bit i wouldn't sort of recommend it as sort of your only source of of learning about biodynamics steiner's uh -huh. a little bit hard to read okay. and he's talking about 
things that, again, he was, he was talking to the choir when he gave these lectures, so these people already sort of knew his, his spiritual sort of um, where he was coming from, yeah. I guess. Okay. And so, so you have to sort of read it with that in mind. And I still read the agriculture course, and I still don't understand it all. But, uh -huh. but over time, I've come to say, oh, yeah, well, I, I, can, I can understand that a little better. And, and, and um, I think that, that, I mean, agriculture or farming is sort of a lifelong activity, but biodynamics is particularly mm -hmm. um, something that you're going to learn over a length of your life. Uh -huh. And you'll come to a, a different relationship to it as time goes on. Um, so that's sort of the, the, uh, the, the nut, or the seed that sort of started this all, was, the, was those eight lectures. Okay. Um, uh, the book that Deb was referencing, this, this book called Muck and Mind, um, I just read it, it's just come out last year. It's, um, the author's name is Jonathan Code, and the subtitle is Encountering Biodynamic Agriculture, an Alchemical Journey. And that's some of the difficulty that you will find in the lectures that Steiner gave was he was coming at it from an alchemical sort of point of view. And if alch alchemy sort of has a sort of uh, negative connotation to it, but, but um, I think it's coming coming back with a sort of a more positive um, focus. Another recent book that's come out is called Sacred Agriculture, and that's by a man named Dennis Klocek. Okay. Um, he also talks about um, the alchemical nature of, of what Steiner was trying to, to get across. Um, so, but this, muck and, this book, Muck and Mind, um, I think it's a, is a good introduction to biodynamics. He, he says at the beginning, this is not about biodynamics. It's about my sort of journey with biodynamics mm -hmm. and with alchemy to sort of help me understand it. Well, it helped me understand some, some things too, and so I think it could be helpful to somebody who's just um, getting their feet wet, so to speak. With okay. Initial curiosity. Because yeah. I, I want to say that there, I think there's obviously with anything there's so many different components but in biodynamics um there's you know there is certainly a real practical aspect to it mm -hmm. which we can talk about but i think i i also agree with tom that that muck and mind could be a, a really good introduction for somebody who's really curious because it's it's much more than just looking at a calendar and planting your seeds following by the moon or knowing how to stir and spray, you know, the one of the preparations, 500 or 501. I mean, those are all practical things that, mm -hmm. you know, one can learn. But underneath that, I think what both Tom and I every day, we're just amazed at how much more there is to really deeply learn. And it is, it's like, a, I think it is a lifelong study, a lifelong practice mm -hmm. that for both of us um, has a strong, you know, spiritual component to it. And um, I think that's one of the things that's, for me, is very... Um, special in, in the biodynamic kind of system is that it is taking really good basic uh, organic principles and furthering them so that we are really recognizing how deeply connected we are to the larger cosmos, um, including elemental beings, which, you know, we can talk about at some point in, in this in this time if we want to, so. Okay. Um, well, I'm glad you touched on the, the spiritual piece because that... Uh, that's what 
I hear people talk about mostly is really that connection to the earth, um, but also the connection to the cosmos, which I think maybe people aren't as aware of. Um, maybe mainstream isn't really as aware of the earth, but getting out into the cosmos as well on those connections. Um, but can we talk a little bit about some of the practices? I mean, we've had on the show, we've talked about organic practices. We've talked about permaculture practices. And one thing that um, that I would like people to be kind of aware of is that, and if could, both of you could kind of speak to as well, is that they're not really standalone kind of practices, but they're all integrated somehow, and they all play a role depending on the season and the timing and all that. Um, I might start by just saying that when, um, you know, I'm one of the long-term certified organic growers here in Maine, almost 30 years, and so I'm one of the ones who um, went through the whole process of what it was for the, for the USDA to basically take over organic certification, and I, I really struggled with it, uh-huh. um, of how difficult it was. That transition. That transition. Yes. And I remember really questioning you know, can I continue to be certified as an organic grower with these types of both attitudes and and lack of lack of practices that um, really have come forth from a much more, um, shall we say, um, money driven approach to organic agriculture than really what we have known here in Maine, and that Mafka has really um, been one of you know, Mafka is the second oldest organic farming organization, and actually the biodynamic organization is the first, 1938. So they really have so much to really support and and teach each other. Um, But I remember really standing strongly and really asking that question. And I realized, I mean, at that point, I had already already been practicing biodynamics for quite a long time. And I remember saying to myself that in my heart, I, I could continue with working, you know, with organic certification. I mean, Mofka, there's no question, but, you know, the federal government, there was a question, Uh because I was integrating biodynamics into that. So it felt like for me, it was really bringing in true to my heart, a much more of a holistic, ecological and spiritual approach. And in that way, I was able to move forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I know that you're, you are not alone in those um, sentiments and transition. Yeah. Just from guests we've had on here in the past. Um, Well, I will... Uh, remind listeners here that you are tuned in to WERU and you're listening to Common Ground Radio. And um, today we are talking about biodynamic farming and gardening practices. Um, and I would like to open up the phone, uh, the phone lines now for calls at this time. So if anyone is interested in calling in with a question or a comment, the toll-free number is one 626 9378 and I'll say it one more time, one 625 9378 And then I would like to move into kind of some of the, I don't expect in the next 40 minutes to cover everything, um, but I would like to move into some of the practices and kind of how they might flow into um, just the work of the season or the, the role of the farm um, as kind of an ecosystem piece. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned some of the, 500, 501 uh, preparations. Tom, you had mentioned horns and manure and intestines and chamomile. Um, maybe we could at least just start there just to give a little bit of explanation if someone is, is hearing this for the first time. 
And we do have a caller. So we're going to take our call. This is Catherine from Appleton. Could you go ahead with your uh, comment or question, please? Oh, yes. And I'm, I'm loving you, the, the souls that are speaking today, such tender hearts. And Rudolf Steiner, oh, my gosh, I wish I had gone to one of his schools. However, um, in my opinion, and I'd like their opinions also on this, you know, yes, there is something happening with their climate. It could be, it could be another ice age for all we know, whatever the stories are out there. But, um, and I should have planted my piece last fall. However, the biggest assault, in my opinion, is the ongoing radiation from Fukushima melted fuel pools. And it has caused th- over 35,000 sea lions um, in the Pacific Ocean to be dying and are, are being recorded as dead and on and on and on. So um, after March 11, 2011, when the first explosion happened from Fukushima, I went out and just covered all my raised beds. Um, but as the years have gone on, I've you know, realized that that was kind of futile. However, I would like them to talk about how important fungi is in biodynamic um, culture of the soil, because it is the biggest absorber of radiation. and. Also, uh, I know of somebody who went to the Fukushima area after, um, what, a, what a brave soul, after um, and all along during, has been planting sunflowers, the big ones, because they take up cesium. Not that cesium is the only isotope that is being created, but that is a massive thing happening on our planet. Possibly it could cause extinction of all life on this planet. And yet, you know, no one's talking about it. Um, so I really wish you would. And I plan, you know, I make sure mushrooms are growing in my garden, by the way. Okay, so Catherine. I'll look forward to the response. Thank you. Okay, well, we do have another caller that's in line here, so we're going to get, it looks like Paul from way back on, and then we'll step back and, and answer all questions. So, Paul, if you want to go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes. Uh, hi, Deb. Hi, Tom. Um, this is really a uh, wonderful, groundbreaking kind of thing to have this open public discussion of some of the alternatives to the uh, mechanistic organic farming uh, information and programs. I, uh, I, I've been practicing um, and inspired by biodynamics here on the farm uh, for about 33, 40 years now. And um, a couple of things I wanted to, to say in, in general to people. So I've been trying to explain this to interns and apprentices for 30 years and and it's really sort of a it's such a broad subject that it's sort of a difficult way to start if you start talking about uh nature spirits in the garden you probably turn about 75 percent of people off on the first sentence because they think you're some sort of a you know wild wild out there kind of person but the the, the core that i try to explain to people is being present spiritually, emotionally, uh, mentally present on the earth at a, in a single spot on the earth and to become part of the earth and part of the, uh, all of the influences cosmic and under the soil and spiritual that are around you. And, and to do this, this is, this is sort of one of the actual practices of biodynamics is to be in a meditative state while you're in your garden and with your plants and, and in nature. And the other thing I wanted to say was um, 
it's an important start to a discussion about the healing that needs to happen uh, on all levels through our our society and starting with our soil and the food that we eat, that it needs to be grown with a um, the food that we ingest, uh, the, the life that we live needs to be lived with a, a sense of, of awe and um, wonderment and in a peaceful way. My biggest issue with with the mainstream organic garden and the gardens and the food they produce is that violence and earth lack of respect for the earth is is rampant through the system from the commercial uh, use of commercial waste agricultural products to the treatment of workers to the uh, to the treatment of the soil biota. It's, it's a widespread system of neglect and abuse, and biodynamics is speaks to all of these things, and certainly our um, uh, Deb and the work she's done with Avena Botanicals and Tom uh, with the wonderful gardens he's had in the Mid-Coast region here are, are uh, outspoken pioneers of a different approach. So thank you both very much for uh, being on the show. Okay. Thank you for the call there, Paul. Um, could we maybe address Catherine's original question about the role of fungi in the soil? I don't know if you would just maybe touch on that briefly. So I just want to say thank you to Paul for all of his good work, too, with biodynamics and being a pioneer. And um, I mean, there's so much to say about biodynamics, but one of the places where we always talk about is the health of the soil. And so in, in response to what Catherine was saying, her... her um, what she was saying was also huge and something we can barely touch on of what's, you know, the incredible suffering that's happening around our planet right now um, is massive. And we have to keep our hearts strong in the best way we can in our own communities, which I think is one of the rules that any of us who are gardening and working with medicinal plants has that on our mind. So mycelium in the soil is key to um, healthy soil. And so just to say... Um, I don't know so much about the work that people are doing in Japan around restoration of soil, and I'm sure that there must be people who are working with mycelium. But I can say that in this country, Paul Stamets is um, the pioneer of working with mycelium and, and doing really fine work with taking incredibly toxic dumps and trying to inoculate those areas with widespread, massive amounts of mycelium to bring healing to the soil. So that's one person, um, his book, Mycelium Running, is certainly worthy of people um, reading and understanding. And the role that mycelium plays is quite profound, both, shall we say, in a real practical, earth-based way, but also on kind of a spiritual sense in that this mycelium, they run for thousands and thousands of miles underground. So they, they also are really playing a key role in the interconnectedness that any of us, you know, whether, you know, whatever, just being human on this planet, mm -hmm. the mycelium, I would say, are wise teachers for us as humans to be humbled by their, the role they play and the reminder of that anytime any of us does anything, there is a rippling effect. And that is key, I think, in this conversation about the level of 
toxicity that is experienced on a daily basis around our planet, Japan obviously being a massive um a, a massive experience that happened that has that's affecting you know us around the planet mm-hmm. um, so mycelium and biodynamics i would just say because we are so focused on using different preparations to really build a life of the soil um and just to say in relationship to that for me as a as a gardener and as an herbalist um and one who you know is working with people to help people's life force or life energy be restored and to be strengthened that the preparations do that on an energetic and on a physical level which as tom was saying it's you can't really measure it per se but we know that it's happening and then that translates into the way that the food and the herbs that we're taking in um that have been grown you know with some way of working with these preparations is enhancing the life force and the spiritual force in the food and the herbs that I think in turn offers us as humans the opportunity to then be able to be much more fully present. Paul was talking about the presence that we bring mm-hmm. to our farm life, but it's a presence that we bring to anything in our life. No, you know, whether we're farmers or gardeners or not, that we as humans have, you know, the humble responsibility of just what it is to show up every day, hopefully with our hearts and our minds open keeping in mind that may we contribute in a good, kind, compassionate way to the well-being of our planet. And in that way, I think biodynamics has taken a further step than just organic agriculture that we have in our minds that how can we support um, our communities as humans to really do our best work to helping um, not contribute to the level of suffering that's happening, including what is happening to sea lions and all kinds of life mm-hmm. every day that's we're losing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, thanks, Deb. Um, <clears throat> well, let's talk a little bit more about the soil then, um, understanding that that is kind of the source of life and the source of health for the plants and animals and those of us that are living above it, I guess, as well as in it and around it. Um I would imagine that some of the preparations are focused on really boosting the health of the soil. And um, I'd like to be able to hear just a little bit more about, I know we can't really speak maybe in isolation for different techniques if they're all tied together, but maybe something this time of year as spring is approaching. um, Are there certain preparations or herbal work that is occurring now as we get ready for the soil to reveal itself again? (laughs) Hopefully, if we want to speak about um, the the preparation that's that's um, often cited as the one that that's working with the soil directly, it's probably the one I referred to earlier about stuffing manure in cow horns, mm-hmm. um, and that's called the preparation five hundred or uh, the horn manure. Now, I, I'd like to sort of preface what I'm going to say about that before with with the the recognition that we are dealing here with physical substance, manure, a cow horn. Mm-hmm. Um, but underneath those, that, that physical substance, and this is what Steiner says about the whole world that we see, mm-hmm. behind this world are spiritual beings at work. And um, elemental beings, he calls some of them. Mm-hmm. Some of them are angels. Some of them you know, higher um, than that. Um, anyway, so so there's this cosmology that there's these this hierarchy of spiritual beings, and they're working with us um, to try and uh, 
bring the earth through its evolutionary process and humanity through its evolutionary process. Anyway, so, um, so okay, we have this manure, we have this cow horn. This manure has gone through a process in a in a cow's stomach, and um, mm -hmm. uh, and the horn has has grown on the cow, and they each have a, a spiritual significance. We put them together, and we put them in bury them in the ground for um, through the through the winter season. We do it the fall. Then we dig them. Um, in the spring here in Maine, it takes a little bit longer. We usually dig them in June sometime. But, uh, and, and that season of the year also has spiritual significance. Mm -hmm. So all of this combined creates this substance. And when you dig up those horns and you empty that horn of the what is now biodynamic 500 or horn manure, um, it's changed. It, it smells different. It looks different. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and in relation to the homeopathy, we we uh, we take a small bit of that, we stir it in a barrel of water or five gallons of water, and then we take that and we sprinkle it out on on the land. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's a description of five hundred, and that's what we do in the spring. Obviously, we wouldn't do it now. It's usually what you do as a soil prep. Okay. Um, as a, when you're preparing your beds for for planting before anything's planted there mm -hmm. you'll go out and you'll spray um and and that's to enliven the soil mm -hmm. and uh so so that's one preparation um you do it in and, the in the late afternoon early evening yes right the, the time of day also is sort of another important sort of aspect yeah. which has significance you know yeah. from a spiritual point of view. And I think there's also a rhythm to the stirring. Mm -hmm. yes, Is it right. clockwise, counterclockwise? Right. So you stir and you, you create a, a vortex yeah. in your stirring um, uh, container, and then you break that vortex. So you're sort of introducing order, and then you're creating chaos by breaking it. Yeah. You sort of get it going again, and you, you're, you continue to do that. Okay. And that's sort of another homeopathic um, Anybody who's familiar with homeopathic knows about succussions, and that's how you give the memory, give water its memory. Um, so, uh, by by creating this this uh, disturbance and then this order and this disturbance and order with um, okay. repetition. So, okay. Well, um, let's. We have a caller, so we'll get the caller on, but we'll come back to those rhythms. Uh, we have Lindy from Southwest Harbor. Would you like uh, to go ahead with your question? Yeah. Uh, good morning. I just want to say, this, your program today couldn't have come at a better time for me, hearing your voices and um, Deb Sewell's work. Uh, I honor and treasure so so much and um, her commitment to the earth and <clears throat> the um, to women and, and healing and um, and this time particularly very troubling times um Syria especially on my mind today um uh, but I just want to say I love the program you know why last week uh, there was a program on WRU I swear if I had false teeth it would have fell, fell out of my mouth it was about a guy talking about robots uh uh milking cows mm. and it, it just went on about, you know, uh, the tech, new technology now, the robot milking cows. And I went, oh, my God, am I, have I got a, a Jesus station on here? I'm sure this is WRU. I, I just couldn't help but think, you know, E.B. White must have been turning in his grave and Vandana Shiva 
and Deb Sewell. Um, <laughs> so I'm so thankful to hear you talking about the elemental mm-hmm. beings. I ran a restaurant based on Rudolf Steiner's principles, and his theory, one of his theories was that luciferic energy is reincarnating through technology. So mm-hmm. getting back to the Earth and talking about the elementals and the Earth, <clears throat> and the Earth is where I get all my love and all my energy. And I'm um, blessed to be to you all today in this, this day, and I'll be listening. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you, Wendy. F- yeah. Um, can we say something about cows? Yeah, and we can say something maybe just briefly. The There was a show last week that I think these mechanical milk stations at larger dairies are moving towards where cows learn that when they feel like the time is ready to milk, they can access these stations and be milked by Machinery without humans involved is what she's referring to. But go ahead, Deb. Well, just to say that I, I didn't grow up on a dairy farm. I didn't grow up on a farm with any kind of working animals. And um, since coming to biodynamics, obviously we're talking about cow and cow horns and the, the significance. I mean, Steiner talks so much about the significance of the of cows. And, and so being around cows both on Tom's farm and um, at Hawthorne Valley, which is a, um, a larger scale, but not a huge, it's a, I think it's a scale of a dairy farm that I wish could be modeled around this country because it's a very healthy biodynamic farm in, in near the Hudson Valley, Hawthorne Valley in New York, where people might be familiar with Hawthorne Valley yogurt. But I just wanted to, to respond kind of just to say that I think um, cows are these amazing beings and I had no idea until I started to spend time around them and really watch them and Tom has a uh, one cow in the barn last night I was feeding him carrots and they're just they're beautiful creatures and I really hope that as we in this time that we're living and we're going to be able to shift this paradigm that um of industrial agriculture which really destroys the spirit and the essence of these extraordinary animals that's mm-hmm. definitely something that needs to shift and change in a big way yes yeah so yeah. Um, can, I, can I just pipe in there? Yes, of course. Uh, Deb brings up the idea of paradigm um, in industrial agriculture. Well, that, that paradigm is our scientific paradigm, and it's been going on since the Age of Enlightenment, and, and we've fallen further and further and further and deeper into this um, materialistic view of looking at the world, um, and we, we've grown to trust in science and so when we talk about biodynamics and we start, start talking about spiritual things or we start talking about spiritual beings, there's a reluctance to go there. Like, like that's old. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that doesn't... But, but the, the, and, and, Steiner, and Steiner's work is not trying to negate anything that science has done, but to recognize that it's only part of the picture and that we're missing a whole half of the picture. And, and what Steiner talks about um, in all his work, and I think what biodynamics is about, and what, what um, Paul was sort of referencing, was there has to be an evolution of our consciousness. And, and that's happening, mm-hmm. whether we sort of see it right now in the outer world or not. It is happening. And I think as um, what biodynamics brings to me personally is um, that relationship to that goes beyond sort of just the physical matter that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, I think they, Paul also referenced some of his apprentices and how do, how do you tell them this? I think 
that there's young people out there now who are who are hungry mm-hmm. for this kind of um, information, and 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 are are trying to find out. You know, okay, I I can grow carrots, I can grow broccoli, but there's something deeper here that I I'm trying to get a hold of. Yeah. And I don't know if biodynamics is the answer for them, but I think that for me it has been sort of a way to sort of understand the world from a deeper level than just the material. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think we do have another caller on the line. I believe we have Paula from Brooklyn, and thank you for holding a bit, Paula, while we address comments from previous callers. Oh, hi. I just had a a short story that... um, I grew up in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, which is right next to Kimberton, and came here in 71. And in 72, some friends of mine who had gone to the Kimberton school were here, and they'd been reading all about Steiner, and they wanted to go visit Marjorie Spock and Sue Ben, and we all went to visit her, and she was doing biodynamic, biodynamic farming way back then. So that's all I wanted to say. Oh, Thank I love you. it. Thank you. I, I love that you brought... Marjorie into the conversation because what an amazing woman who lived to be what 103 or 104 and I just want to say that I can't not say Rachel Carson's name also because the reason Marjorie Spock came to Maine is because she and her partner were living on Long Island when the DDT aerial spring of DDT began to happen in the 50s and it's I mean they Marjorie was instrumental in um, bringing that case all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court actually refused to hear the case. And the justice, the head of the justice, I don't know what his name is, I forget his name, um, he basically publicly said, um, he was the head of the Supreme Court at that time, mm-hmm. he said he thought it was an inc- really, really, really seriously unfortunate that the Supreme Court would not hear that case because he recognized that the direction that we were moving in in the aerial spraying of DDT was going to have a huge negative impact. So Marjorie worked really hard, and they, they left Long Island because of the aerial spraying of DDT, and that's how she came to Maine. Mm-hmm. She was, Tom and I spent a couple, we got to spend a little bit of time with her before she passed, and she, I think, was pretty much the one of the last living people who had ever actually studied with Rudolf Steiner, and she had gone to Europe um, just before Steiner died. He died in 1925, so she's certainly was an extraordinary woman who had an influence on a lot of people. So thank you for bringing her into the conversation and her connection to Rachel Carson, okay. also an extraordinary <clears throat> woman. Okay. Uh, well, I do want to remind listeners that you are listening to Common Ground Radio and you're tuned into WERU. And today we are talking about uh, biodynamic farming. And uh, the lines are still open for the remainder of the show and the toll-free number is one 625 9378. Um, and could we could maybe talk a little bit more about the elemental being piece? Um, because it's come up and that we're getting towards the end of the show, but I'd like to be able to cover that a little bit. I know we've kind of bounced around because of callers. Um, but let's hold off because it looks like we have David from Brooklyn on the line calling back. So, David, go ahead with your question, please. Well, I try to be brief uh, because it's uh, such a wonderful show and because I don't know the vagrancies of my cell phone. Okay. Uh, but I had in mind when I heard the show was coming up, I, I had said in my mind, I'm going to call that show where they talk about organics and see if I can get some mention of biodynamics 
into the airwaves. And I turn on the show late because I had something else to do. And there it is, right happening, you know, already with two of the most wonderful proponents of biodynamics and callers in from the biodynamic sphere that I can imagine. And I just want to say uh, uh, amen, and it is happening. This change is happening. And it's not really happening by my agency as an individual or by any of our agencies as individuals. It's happening because we're able to get with the spirit. And I think that's all we need to do is, in, in all of our various, very significant ways, to get our notion that we know out of the way and start listening to, to uh, who it is that we're knowing, what it is that we're knowing, to this the non-intellectualizable aspect of these things which we're knowing. Like, for example, that, you know, if you can just wrap around the notion that the plant has its head in the earth and the human has its head in the air, and what a vast difference that is in perspective between the plant world and the human and the animal world. Uh, there's so much, there's so much to know. And it can only be known through faith. Uh, so thank you so much for the program. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you for calling in, David. Um, let's talk more about the spiritual piece. Right. So the elemental beings, um, again, according to Steiner, are related to the four elements, the ancient elements of earth, air, fire, and water. And he says that these, these elements that we're working with here in the physical world are... Um, again, are, are upheld by spiritual beings, and these spiritual beings are the elemental beings. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, they, and they have unique characteristics. So the earth elements have, have certain characteristics that, they're, they're, um, that are unique to them, different from the water elements or, or the uh, undines, yeah. as he called them, or the fire spirits, the salamanders. So so each of these elemental beings brings a certain um, quality mm -hmm. to the physical plane that we that we live on. And um, I don't know, Deb, do you, do you have anything else to say about elementals? Well, just to say that anybody who um, was familiar with Fintorn or is familiar with Fintorn, and um, the beginning of Fintorn was really based in you know early in the seventies in Scotland, an intentional community, which now. Um, is a huge spiritual center with people coming from all over the world, and they were for me as a teenager. They were the, it was the first book I read, the Findhorn Garden, mm -hmm. which many people I think have read. That was an introduction to elemental beings and nature spirits. They were working directly. The founders of Findhorn were working directly with elemental beings and nature spirits and giving language to it. But it's a very old. If you go back throughout history, you're going to see pretty much all indigenous cultures have a language and a relationship to the unseen world and to whether, you know, you're in Ireland and you're calling the little people and fairies or elves or gnomes, I mean, pretty much through fairy tales in the Western world. And when I was a student living in Nepal, um, and they're, they're present. It's nothing new that we're talking about. It's just the Western world, I think, has really been disconnected from all that is that's going on behind the physical world. So it's nothing new that we're talking about. It's pretty ancient and widespread. And to bring Marjorie Spock's name back into the, the conversation, she also has a book out on 
or had published it. I think it was a children's book. I think it was meant as a children's book, but but it's about the elemental beings and um, and her relationship. She calls it, I forget, fairy workers or something. And it's a beautiful book. It's with paintings, and I can try to find the name of it. Okay. Well, um, we do have another caller on the line. It looks like we have Mariah from Liberty calling in. So, Mariah, if if you'd like to go ahead with your question. Yes. um, Thank you so much. Uh, This program is really one of the it's just really engaging me and i really appreciate it um this winter i've been reading can you hear me by the way yes Yes. we can hear you fine this reading winter i've been reading a couple of books that perhaps some listeners who are um less oriented in this direction uh, as i have been in the past might enjoy and one is and perhaps i don't know if you've mentioned this already the secret life of plants um I, there are some amazing stories in that book. And the other one is called The Voice of the Infinite in the Small, which is revisioning the insect-human connection. And again, it just, it, um, I think it would probably open up the eyes and the hearts of a number of us if we were to kind of have resources like that that we could look at and, and be able to view the world in a different way the connectedness of all of the world in a very different way. And I appreciated the reference to the Fintorn Garden book that I've not read. Um, and if you have any other uh, books that you think would be good for the neophytes, that would be delightful. Thank you again. This is a wonderful program. Thank you, Mariah. Marjorie Spock's, the title of her book is Fairy Worlds and Workers, and it's a small book, and I think you can probably find it through Steiner Books. And if somebody were to go onto Steiner Books' website, you'll see you know, a vast amount of books. That's one place to start. Um, yeah. Okay. What's book? Okay. Yes, another excellent um, book on biodynamics that also he, um, it's written by a geography professor um, in England, Richard Thornton Smith. His book is called Cosmos, Earth, and Nutrition. So for some of the um, listeners who may be a little bit more oriented towards science, um, both both Tom and I found his book to be really, really useful because he comes from a, a, a really practical place, but also very expansive in his understanding of biodynamics and Rudolf Steiner's work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, we are nearing the end of the final minutes of the show here. Um, so I, what I wanted to do before the end of the show is be able to give each of you the chance to kind of say how people could maybe find out more about you or where they could find some of your farm products. Um, and Deb, I know that you've authored some books. If people are interested in those, give you a chance to at least tell people where to look. Well, I'll say um, the Biodynamic Association, you know, it's just BDA, but Biodynamic Association has a very active and engaging website. So that's a, that's a resource for people to go on to. I think it's a lot of activity on that website. And I started a conversation with Mafka a year ago, which we're continuing um, where the farm that I'm on, we have both an herbal apothecary, we have biodynamic medicinal herb gardens that are open to the public. We're open Monday through Friday, 12 to 5, year-round. And um, if you go onto Avena Botanicals website, you will see there's a number of different herb walks I give in the summer and different mm-hmm. classes and workshops that are um, really coming back to life because we also have a small nonprofit called the Herbal Classroom that we have a very active advisory board that's bringing um, those programs back to life, including... Mafka and my the herbal classroom have begun to 
work towards um, offering a year-long biodynamic training program that will that will happen. I think we're going to start it probably in the fall of 2016, and it will be a year-long program that will just happen. Probably we'll meet throughout the year, and it will be like for three days at a time because we want to make it very accessible to farmers and gardeners who really can't go off their farm. So mm-hmm. more of the the written reading material will happen in the winter and the practical hands-on applications will happen at different points in the summer. So people should just keep their eye on Avena Botanicals' website for that information. Okay. And Tom, how about if people are interested in... Um, my farm's name is Hope's Edge Farm. It's in Hope, Maine, and it's primarily a CSA farm. We have a couple of restaurants that we sell to. Um, sometimes we sell to some of the local co-ops. But, um, yeah, I have a website called uh, hopesedgefarm.com. Okay. You can find us there, and um, okay. we also run Facebook. So okay. you can friend us there, too. Well, we are we are at the end here, so I'd like to thank Deb Soul and Tom Griffin for joining us today on Common Ground Radio, which you can hear the first Friday of every month here at 10 a.m. on WERU. And thank you to Amy Brown for engineering the show. And stay, uh, stay tuned for On the Wing starting here at 11 o'clock. And we'll see you next month. Thank you. WERU comes from the Penobscot Theatre Company, 